The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, as I mentioned earlier, last week we focused our Christmas Sunday looking at the first coming of Christ. And just as annually we preach about the first coming of Christ on Christmas, I want to make it a tradition within our church that we devote New Year's Sunday to preaching on the second coming of Christ and our hope that we have stored up for us in heaven. And so I know with the new year approaching us tomorrow, many of us will spend time in reflection on the past year in planning for the new year. And this is a good practice for us to take part in. If you aren't planning on doing that, I want to encourage you to do that. Reflect on this last year and then plan out as best as you can plan out what this next year will hold for you and for your family. Wisdom is birthed in reflection, and so it's good for us to reflect. But while it's important that we reflect and plan, it's even more vital that we plan our lives, not just one year, but our entire lives for what's to come for all eternity. That we give great consideration of how we are to live this life in life. Of eternity, And so this morning I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read select passages from Revelation 21 and 22. And then we're going to end our time in Matthew 24, just so you know where we're going this morning. But this morning I want to show you that your future hope, your future hope as a Christian, it is certain. It is assured because it is sealed up for you in heaven. And my prayer is that as you see how our God will make all things new this morning, I pray that as you see that your soul would be awakened and stirred by the future reality that is yours. And as a result, that you would leave this place with a deeper longing for heaven and a greater commitment to live and to prepare for that day. And so with that being said, let us read Revelation chapter 21. We'll read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip to the end of it. Read verse 22 through uh, some verses in chapter 22, and then we'll end in the last two verses of the Bible. Let's read. The Apostle John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, all things. New. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
And so go with me to verse 22, church. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street and of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Isn't that good news? But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. In my opinion, one of the, some of the five greatest words in all the Bible, they will see his face. Church, there's coming a day where we will see the face of Jesus. And his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then we'll end in the last two words, verses of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would indeed give us grace, that your grace would be with us during this time and as we leave this place. Pray that you would do a work in our hearts such that we love Jesus more, leaving this place than when we did entering in. So I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray be at work, Holy Spirit, for the glory of Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. So my hope, my goal first this morning is that you will see a biblical understanding of heaven. Now, now many people today and many Christians within the church, they, they imagine heaven to be a place where we will magically float alongside the angels in the clouds and we will strum melodic um, uh, music on our very own personal harps, right? That, that's sometimes the picture that people have of what heaven will be like. Many, many people think that heaven will be a place absent of physical existence. That there will be no physical heaven, no physical earth, no physical bodies. It will just be a, a, a disembodied spiritual existence. That's what some people think. But look at me with look with me at what John says in verse one. Notice that the apostle John says that he saw a new heaven and a new earth, a physical place. And so when Jesus comes back to this earth after he defeats Satan and destroys death itself. And after he will judge the living and the dead, he will make for us a new and a completely transformed earth. Now, this earth that he will make for us, it will be just as physical and just as real to us. Indeed, even more so as this earth we are standing on right now. We see in Revelation 22 that that this new earth will have rivers and it will have trees and it will have a city. What's called the New Jerusalem. This new earth, it will be a real place and we will interact with it with our renewed five senses. And so this world that we know of right now, it won't be obliterated or annihilated. No, the new creation, it will be a renewal and a transformation of the old. And the best part of it all in this new creation, in the new earth, there will be no more sin. And because sin will be no more, this new earth will no longer be corrupted by the curse of sin. 
and it won't be subjected to its decay. And so just think about it. The most glorious experience that you have encountered within nature. Think about those sunsets that are just, that leave you speechless. The, the grandeur of a mountaintop view, the vastness of the ocean, these great experiences that you will have on this earth, they will be unspeakably and um, in immeasurably greater in the new creation. Because as great as, uh, as the glory that we experience in God's creation, it's still tainted by sin. But there's coming a day when the new creation, the new earth that Jesus will make, sin will be no more. And the veil will be lifted and we will see it in its full glory and splendor. Indeed, this new creation, it will be Eden transformed. It will be Eden 2.0. Now, you, you might be thinking, okay, that what, that's nice about the new earth, but what about the new heaven? John talks about this new heaven. What, what, what and where will it be? When the Bible speaks of heaven, it refers to heaven as the dwelling place of God. And so look with me at verse 3 in chapter 21. Where, where does it say God will be in the new creation? He will be with us on the new earth. So where will the new heaven be? It will be on the earth. For God will dwell there with his people for all eternity. And so the next time your child or grandchild or neighbor or you know, a niece or nephew asks you that perplexing question, where is heaven? You can answer them by saying buddy or sweetie. Heaven is where God is. And then you just hope they don't ask any follow-up questions after that. <laughs> now look with me at verses 5 and 6, where God says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And then, and then he goes on to say, it is done. God says that it is done. He says that to signify that the new creation, this new creation that we, we can't even comprehend, but as glorious as it will be, it will be the capstone of his redemptive Work. All of human history pointed us to the first coming of Jesus, where he came to live a perfect, sinless life, to die an atoning death on the cross, and to rise victoriously from the dead, to deal a decisive death blow to sin, Satan, and death. But now God is preparing his creation for the second coming of Christ, when he will return to forever conquer and destroy sin, Satan, and death. When Jesus will return, as it says, to make all things new. Now you might be thinking, how, how will I experience this new heaven and new earth? Well, John 6, Jesus teaches us that, that we will receive one day. We will receive new, physical, resurrected bodies. In John 6, 40, Jesus says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him. So this is conditioned on if you are trusting in Jesus for your salvation. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And so while there will be some similarities between our current bodies and our resurrection bodies, there will also be some transformative differences. For one, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the body we will receive will resemble that of the resurrected body of Christ. Additionally, the body we'll receive will be incapable of death. Paul writes, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We deal with death seemingly every day. We hear of it in the news, and we experience it, unfortunately, in our families. But there's coming a day when the bodies Jesus will give us, they will be incapable of death. Finally, in this new heaven and new earth and in our new resurrection bodies, we will be free from sin, sorrow, pain, death, and disease. 
the doctors in the room, you'll be out of a job. Um, read with me for chapter 21, verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, church, is this not a glorious truth for us to set our hopes on this morning? That one day, all of our physical ailments will be no more. Back pain, knee pain, chronic soreness will be no more. No more pulling muscles or fracturing bones, and cancer will be no more. Parkinson's disease will be no more. Dementia, Alzheimer's, heart disease, they will be no more. They will be no more because sin will be no more. Think about it. You'll ha- no longer have to live with your guard up. You'll never, have, never again have to guard against temptation and the sin of others. You'll no longer have to fight and resist the temptations of your flesh and no longer have to repent and ask someone else for forgiveness. Sin will be no more. As the hymn says, oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Because, church, there will be no more sin to rob us of our joy. That means our joy will be full and it will be constantly increasing. Our joy will never end. Our happiness and joy in heaven will continually increase because our personal knowledge of God will eternally grow and our worship of Christ, it will be unending. Indeed, the center, heaven's going to be glorious. This new earth will be amazing, but at the center of it all will be our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for all eternity, we will never tire of saying together with our brothers and sisters from all nations and tribes and peoples and languages, we will never tire of saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We will worship Christ for all eternity. And so think about those moments in your life when you, when you were the happiest you've ever been. Maybe, maybe on your wedding day or the birth of a child or, or the, whatever that might be. The happiness you will experience in heaven will far exceed the greatest moments of happiness you've ever experienced on this earth. Because the source and the object of our happiness, God himself, he will be in our midst. He will be with us. And scripture says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get glimpses in this lifetime, but one day we will see, we will experience joy in full because we will see God in his fullness. Wayne Grudem, this is kind of a longer quote, but I think it's really helpful, so stick with me. I think he put it well when he, he said this. He said, more important than all the physical beauty of the heavenly city, more important than the fellowship we will enjoy eternally with God's people, more important than our freedom from pain and sorrow and physical suffering, and more important than reigning over God's kingdom, more important by far than any of these will be the fact that we will be in the presence of God and enjoying unhindered fellowship with him. He goes on to say, from time to time on earth, we experience the joy of genuine worship of God, and we realize that it's our highest joy to give Him glory. But in this new city and in the new earth, this joy will be multiplied many times over, and we will know the fulfillment for why we were created. Our greatest joy will be in seeing the Lord Himself and being with Him forever. And when we look into the face of our Lord, He continues, and He looks back at us with infinite love, we will see in Him 
the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right and desirable in the universe. And when we look into his face, he ends by saying this, we will see that our hearts will long for nothing else. Then with joy, our hearts and voices will join with the redeemed from all the ages, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so before we continue, I just want to ask you, do you long for that day? Do you long for that day when the one you've lived for by faith, this whole entire life, you will see by sight? There's coming a day where you will see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you will be in his unhindered presence forever. First Peter 1.8 says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And this is the mark of a true Christian. If, you, if you're kind of wondering, am I a Christian or am I not a Christian this morning? This is the mark of a true Christian. It says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Do you, do you have love for Christ in your heart? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Your longing for heaven and for Christ's return, it's proportionate to your love for him. If you love little, you will long little for his return. But if you love much, you will long much for his return. Speaking of Christ's return, if you've been keeping up with the news headlines lately, it feels like a bit we're in the end of the age, right? With all the wars around the globe, the significant earthquakes of this past year, the growing threat of nuclear war, the the moral degeneration and glorification of sin in our culture, and the technological proliferation that seems to be mimicking the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, it, it feels like a bit, maybe we're on the edge, we're inching closer and closer to the end of the age. Now, now to be sure, no one knows the day of Christ's return. Jesus himself said that only the Father in heaven, only he knows that day. So it could be today, Lord willing, or it could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. However, Scripture instructs us that we are to prepare for Christ's coming. And so this morning, I want to end our time by helping you to prepare for the end of the age, for that day when Jesus will return. And that day when the new heaven and the new earth will be consummated. How how many of you in here have seen those doomsday prepper TV shows or heard about the doomsday prepping phenomenon? Anybody, anybody in this room? Some of you. Okay. Um, This phenomenon is it's I've never seen any of the shows, but I've heard enough about it. So I I think these people, they build these concrete bunker shelters. They store up years of food and water reserves all in order to survive, quote unquote, the apocalypse. And maybe they have a little twitch in their eye too, you know. They're maybe, uh, maybe uh, anyhow. So uh, uh, I, I, like I said, I haven't seen these shows, but in preparing for this sermon, I Googled the best survival bunkers in the world. It's, it's pretty fun. It's, it's a fun uh, exercise if you have extra time. Uh, but one of the top bunkers in the world, it, it's not too far from us. It's found in Kansas. Uh, in that where you'd want to be, Kansas, America. Uh, But during the Cold War, the U.S. government had built nuclear missile silos all across the U.S. And and, and then over the years after the Cold War, they decommissioned these sites. But in 2010, a developer purchased one of these decommissioned sites and converted it into a survival bunker, doomsday bunker. Now, now this isn't your typical drab concrete bunker. No, in addition to living in a high-end 2,500-square-foot apartment, 
This 15-floor doomsday bunker, it goes 201 feet down into the ground. And it has several luxuries that you can partake in uh, during the end of the world. Such as an indoor dog walk, which is, of, I guess, top priority. Uh, a shooting range, uh, you might need that. Uh, practice your shot. A, a rock climbing wall, an indoor pool, a water park, a library, a theater, a fitness center, first aid facility, and a command center to, to, uh, to take care of all of it. And in addition, in case, in case everything goes, uh, goes kaput, it has redundant power and water sources along with its own organic hydroponic and aquaponics system. The founder said that this bunker is designed to be self-sufficient, completely independent of the outside world, and it could sustain 75 people for up to five years. Now, now this can all be yours for the low price tag of $2.5 million, along with a $5,000 a month fee uh, to boot. But, but you know what the tragedy is in all of that? that there are people willing to spend $2.5 million to try to extend their lives by 5, 10, or 20 years during this quote-unquote apocalyptic setting, and yet they entirely neglect to prepare themselves for eternity. The tragedy is in our world is that most people today are focused on self-preservation rather than soul preparation. Maybe that's you in this room this morning. The tragedy is that most people in our world are focused more on self-preservation than they are on soul preparation, preparing their souls for eternity. And so the question becomes, how do we prepare ourselves for heaven? How should we ready ourselves for the return of Christ and to see his face one day? When Matthew 24, chapter, Matthew chapter 24 Jesus talks about the signs of the end of the age, and we're not going to go into all of it. We would be here a very long time. Uh, we're just going to look at three verses, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus says this, that because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so from these three verses, I want to encourage you in three ways to prepare your heart for heaven and for the return of Christ. And the first is to pursue a passionate love for Christ. Jesus said that as the day gets closer and closer, the love of many will grow colder and colder. In other words, the the hearts of supposed Christians, of, of nominal Christians, of cultural Christians, they will fall more in love with the things of the world than they will with the creator of the world. They will, commit, uh, they will commit the great sin of adultery and run into the arms of idols that can never satisfy. And listen, you and I, we are not immune to this. If we do not guard our hearts and if we do not intentionally and daily grow in our love for Jesus, and then, then what is Jesus said in verse 12 could be true of you and me. Our love can grow cold. It's a scary thought, isn't it? And what does Jesus imply for those whose heart grows cold? That for those whose hearts grow cold and lack love for him, eventually prove that they never knew him. And so we must not just presume upon the doctrine of eternal security and think that we can coast our way into heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. As Jude said in his epistle, in his book, he says, those who are kept by God will keep themselves in the love 
of God. We are kept by God and we keep ourselves in the love of God. That means we grow daily, daily, daily in our love for Jesus. And so I want to admonish you this morning to throw off every sin and every entanglement that threatens to stifle and quench your love for Jesus. And then I want to encourage you to pursue those things that will stir your affections for him. So I know I've said it in the past before, but I'll ask again this question. What is it in your life that stirs your affections for Christ? Well, what are those things that deepen your love for Jesus and help you to see his great love for you? To be sure, the greatest way to stir your affection for the Lord is to daily, to regularly spend time in fellowship with him, in the study of his word and in prayer. This is vital and you cannot grow in the Lord apart from this practice of fellowshipping with him in his word. So I encourage you to do that this next year. Whatever your resolutions might be, if you're a resolution person, put that at the top of your list to daily, regularly spend time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. But also God uses other things in our lives to grow and to stir our affections for him. Whether that's scripture memories, singing hymns or newer, newer worship songs, listening to good sermons, whatever it may be. And so whatever it is that for whatever that is for you, I encourage you in 2024 to pursue those things that stir your affections for the Lord Jesus Christ so that you don't let your heart grow cold. Because just as a cold and stiff body is indicative of a dead body, so it is also for the soul. May we do whatever it takes to guard and to protect and to cultivate our Love for Jesus. The first way we prepare for his return and prepare for heaven is to grow and to pursue a passionate love for Christ. But the second way is we is by proclaiming Jesus's first coming. Read with me what what Jesus says in verse 14. He says that the gospel of the kingdom, it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so Jesus says before the end takes place, before Christ returns and makes the new heaven and the new earth, before the end can happen, the great commission must be fulfilled. And so that's why I want to encourage you this morning to continue to proclaim Jesus's first coming to make disciples, Jesus says, of all nations. Lord willing, next year we'll have an opportunity to take a mission trip to Toronto And if so, if you're interested, let me know. But the beautiful reality is that in the meantime, God has also brought the nations to us. There are thousands of people from unreached people groups living right now here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And church, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are living right now lost and without hope of the gospel. And so maybe let me put it, say it a bit more pointedly by asking you this question. Who are you discipling right now? Who are you intentionally sharing the gospel with right now? And whose salvation are you regularly praying for? If your answer to those questions is no one, then listen, there's grace and there's forgiveness. But I want to encourage you in 2024 to renew your commitment to the Great Commission and to actively pursue the people that God has put into your life. To make disciples, to share the gospel, and to pray for those God has brought into your life who don't yet know him. And I want, as I shared earlier, I want you to encourage you to continue giving to our global missions offering. 
Through your giving, you can give the hope of heaven to those who are without hope right now. May we recommit ourselves this next year to share the gospel, to proclaim Christ's first coming. Because as real and as glorious as heaven will be for those who have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus for their salvation, listen, the Bible says that just as real and just as horrible will the torment and the anguish be for all those who don't receive Jesus' salvation, who will spend an eternity in hell. Back to our passage in Revelation 21, verse 8, it says that for those who are still in their sins, for those who haven't received the forgiveness of Jesus, for those who haven't trusted in him for their salvation, for those who haven't, have, haven't received the hope of heaven and been cleansed by his blood. The Bible says that their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus described hell as a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so listen, for all who reject the gospel, Maybe if you're in this room, maybe you've done the religious thing. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but you don't yet know Christ. If you are without Christ, then, then your moments of deepest depression, your feelings of inner anguish and torment, your feelings of loneliness, your moments of most intense pain in this lifetime, they will be but a drop in the bucket of what hell will be like for all eternity. And so if you don't yet know Christ, I plead with you, I beg with you this morning to turn from your sin and to place your faith in Jesus. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you don't yet know Jesus, but you have realized that you are a sinner separated from him and deserving of his punishment for you, then listen, the good news is that Jesus has come to take the punishment that you and I deserved on the cross. He bore God's wrath in our place so that we could be forgiven and receive his mercy, that we might find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And so Jesus says that all who come to him, he will never cast out. Jesus said, I am the way. You, know, you want to know how to get to heaven? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way, the only way to heaven is through Jesus and through believing in him alone. And so may we prepare for heaven by proclaiming Christ's first coming. Finally, may we prepare for heaven by anticipating his second coming. Notice the last four words in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the last four words, it says the end will come. Listen, you can take the wills of scripture to the bank. What God promises will happen. The end will come. And so church, may we long for Christ's return. May we be, as Jesus once said, awake and ready. May we live with a laser focus intensity on what awaits us one day. Yes, we are to live in this world, but yes, we are to be living for another world to come. Robert Murray McShane, he was an old pastor. He once said, live for eternity. A few more days and our journey is done. So I'll end this morning by asking you this question. How do you want to spend this life of yours? This little vapor and mist of existence that we have. How do you want to spend this life before you enter into eternity? Do you want to spend it by storing up treasure for yourself on this earth where moth and dust destroy? By living for yourself and for your hobbies? Or will you say along with Jonathan Edwards, resolve to live with all my might while I still live? 
Or maybe to put it another way, resolve to serve my king with all my might while I still can. Because when we get to heaven and when we see the face of Jesus, we will not regret one sacrifice that we made for him in this lifetime. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. May we then live this life in light of eternity. May we then set our hopes on the hope of heaven. And may we prepare ourselves for Christ's return. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.